The following pre-recorded program is brought to you by Wrestling with the Inner Man. Welcome to Wrestling with the Inner Man, because the first fight we face each and every day is a fight with our flesh. Do we listen to our selfish, sinful nature or to divine nature guided by the Holy Spirit? Your host, David Savage, is a product of the West Texas desert and energy industry who recently received the biggest promotion of his life, reporting directly to the top boss, God. We hope you're ready to rumble because wrestling with the inner man begins now. Good evening, WWM listeners. Rick, good to see you, man. Can you believe it's already May 1st? Have you ever needed help and had to send a Mayday signal to anyone for assistance? Mayday is a distress call that is used to signal a life-threatening emergency, usually on a ship or plane, although it may be used in a variety of other situations. SOS, short for Save Our Souls, sent by Morse code, predates the use of Mayday. In 1927, the International Radio Telegraph Convention adopted Mayday as the radio telephone distress call in place of SOS. Just thought I'd give you a little bit of that background, you know, for the day. And it is almost a universal quality of men to be extremely reluctant to ask for help. We don't like to send up the Mayday call uh, or shoot the flare. But needing assistance means we must admit that we cannot do something by ourselves. And we're all self-reliant men, Right. Well, my guest today is Dr. Austin Ruiz, owner and optometrist with Colleen Vision Source. Austin is also a board member of the Central Texas Workforce Commission and uh, a peer, Brazos River Authority Board Director with me. And that's where we've met. Now, today he is on the show to share his story about wrestling with his cancer diagnosis and treatment where he ultimately had to send up a mayday, or more appropriately, really, an SOS signal to God. Austin, welcome to Wrestling with the Inner Man. Thank you, uh, uh, David, and I, I really appreciate this. I hope my story will uh, inspire or help somebody else to know that God is always there for you when you need him. That's right, and that's exactly what this show is about, and I thank you for coming on and being willing to, to share a very personal and an emotional story. So why don't you uh, begin by giving our listeners just a little background and where and how you grew up and, and became an optometrist. Okay. Well, I was born in Austin, Texas, hence my name. Um, and uh, my my parents uh, met, you know, and uh, then I guess they moved up here because my father was an optician and moved up to Colleen and, uh, when I was five months old. So I basically grew up here. And um, I worked for my father uh, when I was in high school and um, – I saw him one time, and people asked me, why did you become an optometrist? And I said, well, there was one time a little baby, and I guess he was probably about not even a year old, year and a half, and uh, he was an accommodative isotrope, which means his eyes turned in. So, And I remember my father fitting him with a pair of glasses, and the little baby boy uh, turned around and looked at his father and just big old grin. And um, I go, that's what I want to do, and I'm going to make people happy and make people see. So that's why I became an optometrist. Um, and then uh, I guess, uh, I know I told you about my, I don't know if I told you or not, but I guess in 15 and 16, I was running for, uh, state, uh, house representative and, um, I lost on a runoff by 39 votes. And, uh, at the time it was kind of like, well, I don't understand why you put me through this God, but I guess there's a reason. And, 
and the reason was I had to meet people along the way that later on when I was sick uh, were there for me and helped me get the treatment I needed. But uh, it was I was diagnosed uh, with leukemia on January the 11th of uh, 2017. And so I was out of my practice for two years uh, undergoing treatment that they initially said was only going to take a year. But I was diagnosed with LL leukemia out of literally nowhere. Um, I, I, I'd gone to my doctor in, in uh, September of 16 for my annual checkup, and everything was fine. I was a little bit anemic. He said, I go, yes, I was suffering from uh, ulcerative colitis, and it was flaring up at the time. And uh, so I'm getting treatment, and uh, and I told my other doctor about the, the anemia. He goes, oh, I'll put you on uh, some lactoferrin, and that'll help you. Uh, re- regenerate some of your red blood cells. Well, around Christmas time, I started feeling uh, really tired and kind of sick, and so I, and I thought it was just cedar fever. So I went to see my doctor again. He goes, "Oh yeah, you don't have leukemia. I mean, you don't have uh, uh, bronchitis, and you don't have pneumonia. I'm gonna just give you something for your seasonal um, uh, asthma." So I said, "Fine." So it was in January, uh, the weekend of the college football playoff, and my daughters had come up from Houston to see us and. I was on the couch most of the weekend. I couldn't stay awake. I was so tired. And they said, you need to go see the doctor. I said, yes, I'll call on Monday and set up appointments. So I called my doctor on Monday. I said, look, I want uh, you to check my heart. I want you to check my lungs. I want you to do blood work on me. Something's not right. And uh, and so I went and had blood work on Tuesday. And I'm driving home on Tuesday afternoon because I was so tired at the office. I said, look, I'm cancel out my afternoon patients. I'm going home could hardly stay awake on Tuesday and uh, driving home and I'm only like seven miles from my office. And then um, Wednesday, I went to sleep probably around seven o'clock that evening. And my wife woke me up at seven o'clock in the morning. You going to work today? I go, no, I don't think so. I don't feel very well. And I said, but I need you to drive me to the office. So she drives me to the office, but I said, I had to write some checks. And then my doctor calls my office around uh, nine 30. And uh, he said, Austin, you're working. I go, no, I'm not working. Uh, I'm just here writing some checks. He goes, well, I need you to come see me. I go, okay, yeah, I'm coming to see you this afternoon by 1.30 for an appointment. He goes, no, I need you to come see me now. I go, go now? He goes, uh, <laughs> right now. Oh, well, that doesn't sound too good. So I go in there, and it's um, it's kind of a surreal moment. You know, I mean, you go in there, and you think you're okay, and, and then it, he walks in about 10.30 in the morning. He goes, Austin, I don't know how to tell you this, but you have leukemia. I go, excuse me? And he goes, um, yeah, you're like the healthiest person I know. I go, well, I guess not. He goes, look, the pathologist called me himself. Um, your red blood cell count is, you know, less than what the, the minimum should be. Your leukemia cells are over 350. He's worried that you're going to have a cardiac arrest. So I need to get you into the emergency, you know, basically intensive care unit to, to get some blood in you and before we can send you over to Scott and White to be treated. And so uh, while I was at, at Metroplex being seen in the, in, the, in the emergency room or intensive care unit, um, they couldn't find a room for me over at, at uh, Scott and White where I was going to have to get treated for the leukemia. And, uh, and they said, we can't find a room. And I said, let me call one of my friends, one of the people I met while I was running for office. I said, Martha, uh, I've been diagnosed with leukemia. And she goes, what? And I go, yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> I said, well, they don't have any rooms for me at Scott and White. She goes, give me 15 minutes. And called back in 15 minutes. Uh, he has a room on um, eighth floor or whatever. And they go, we didn't even know there was an eighth floor. So, uh, <laughs> and, and so she was an angel sent to me, you know. And um, yeah, and God's, God's working needed. it out for you. 
Um, and this and was then the- later on when we were, I've been going through some treatments at Scott and White, and uh, it was at the point where they wanted to send me to either to Dallas or to San Antonio for a bone marrow transplant. And I go, that's not going to work for me. I said, I don't have any support system in either one of those two places. I said, but I have two daughters that live in Houston, literally about 15 minutes away or 10 minutes away from uh, MD Anderson. And that's where I want to go. Well, they were giving me the run around. You can't go blah, blah, blah. And then Kathy and I had prayed about proud it. And cause I said, you know, I don't really want to have to sue to get, you know, treatment, but maybe that's what we have to do. But we prayed about it, and who, lo and behold, who should walk in about seven or seven thirty that night? Uh, the president of the hospital of Scott and White, and he said, I, "I, I just every now and then I just take rounds and just randomly go to rooms just to see how everybody's doing." Well, uh, you and I both talk, and we know that things aren't random, even though they seem random <laughs> at the time. Um, and, and my wife goes, well, now that you ask that if there's something you could do and she explained the situation, he says, um, I'm going to have somebody call you or stop by tomorrow. And sure enough, early in the morning, here comes his assistant. And, uh, little after that, we got approval to go to MD Anderson. And, um, my doctor at Scott and White, who was treating me, who had said that no one ever gets approved to go to MD Anderson, um, he said, I don't believe it. And and he goes, I've never had anybody do it. And my wife goes, well, that's because you don't pray to the same God that we pray to. <laughs> yeah, good testimony. But, so that's, and then, uh, let, how much do you, you want me to tell you well, my well, let, yeah, story? Let, let, me, let me ask you a couple of questions based on what we talked sure. about before. But this was an unusual, because this was a childhood leukemia, right? And how old were you? When, Correct. I had ALL leukemia, which when I was diagnosed, the doctor said, this is not good because uh, all the you have a form of childhood leukemia, and you're 59, almost 60 years old at the time because I was I'm born in March and it was in January. Uh, she said all the treatment protocols are designed for children and they're not designed for adults. We don't know how it's going to affect you. Basically, giving me the death sentence right there, you know. Mm. And um, you know, I said, yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's usually my attitude. Uh, and, uh, Hold on um, now. Hold on. I'm checking with somebody on this. <laughs> I'm praying about it. I'm sure. So yeah. What? What? Tell, tell us a little bit more just about that. That a reaction. You know. So you, when it sinks in, and I do know you. I mean, you're kind of like, all right. Well, we're just gonna, you know, grind through this, and we're gonna tackle it. And but, you know, do you want to share a little bit more about just your conversation with your wife and your family, and like, okay, you know, we're gonna. We're going to seek the treatment. We're going to pray about it, you know, and then did, did you feel confident or, you know, everybody was just extremely worried and concerned, you know, because I, I remember when my wife got the breast cancer diagnosis, you get that C word in the vocabulary. It's pretty terrifying. Yes. Um, I, I can tell you that I'm more of a, a realist coming from the medical side. And I, I told my wife, look, we're going to get some things in order. And uh, in case I don't make it, you know, she know, don't you talk that way? I said, well, look, I just have to be practical. You know, I mean, if I don't make it, I don't make it, you know, And but right. I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of. And um, but we prayed about it. And, and someone had asked me uh, later, you know, what was the hardest thing you had? Uh, what did you learn, you know, from your experience? I go that I'm not in control of anything. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm a type A personality and I'm a controller by personality. I, I want things the way I want them and I, you know, that kind of stuff. And when I got sick, uh, I realized I'm not in control of much of anything. Right. <laughs> and I used to pray to God when I would go into the hospital. I said, you know, God send the Holy spirit to me. 
take as much pain and suffering as you can away from me. I, I'm not going to try to be greedy and have you take it all away. Just take as much as you can. And I realize you're in control, and I'm just along for the ride. And I would say that prayer to myself every single time I checked into the hospital. Um, and most of the time, I really um, didn't have too many problems, except I'd get some migraine headaches from some of the medications. But other than that, man, it would last maybe a day, day and a half, and then I'd be fine, you know. Well, then, then you told me that you, you know, so you get into MD Anderson, and that was kind of like a, you know, a small miracle. Uh, and then, you know, you go through these treatment regimens, and you know, you, you told me that when we had dinner, you went through like five different regimens, you know, and none of them were having any uh, results. And so, how how long a period was that where you kind of reached this end of your rope, and you said, "Hey, I want to go back to." Okay. Parker Heights. So, so yeah. Tell that story. Sure. So remember that I was diagnosed in January of 17. So every month I was having chemo treatments trying to basically get me in remission and, and, and basically get rid of the leukemia cells so that you could give me a bone marrow transplant. So they finally um, got approval. I guess it was probably like in May or June to go to MD Anderson, and but they couldn't see me until basically – August of 17. So I think I had my last treatment at Scott and White in, in July because they didn't want me to go more than four to six weeks without having chemo. So I check in in, in July and August and um, for my first bone marrow transplant. Well, of course, they give you high dose chemo to basically wipe everything out and then they give you the bone marrow transplant. Um, and then I, later on, they check you, you know, they drill on your hip to. to extract bone marrow to see if everything's gone and um, i got a call from the doctor saying um, the cytoflow machine the pathologist didn't see any cells but the cytoflow machine which can detect one bad cell in ten thousand, detected you have a small amount of leukemia cells and i go well i thought the bone marrow and transplant and the chemo were supposed to get rid of all she goes yes well it didn't so we're going to have to have you come back in i'm going to give you some more treatment and it was uh, blutumumab, I believe that's what it was. It was like in a little infusion ball. I had to wear a little backpack um, for 30 days. And so I enter about 3%. Um, so technically, I'm in remission because anything five and under, you're in remission. So after a month, I go back in. And, uh, and of course, she said, well, I expect when the test results come in uh, that everything should be fine because everything looking pretty good. So my wife packs up her car and and takes all my stuff, and all I have is my clothing on my back and, and, and a, uh, my toiletry bag. I said, I, I can't leave today because I had anesthesia, but I'll get up in the morning and first thing, and I'll be out and out of here. Well, I get a phone call from a doctor around 5 o'clock and, uh, and uh, basically starts off with, uh, Austin, where are you? I said, I'm in Houston. Oh, you haven't left yet? And I said, no, I'm still here because I couldn't leave. And she says, what about your wife? I said, no, she went back home. Oh, are you at your daughter's house? Yes. Is your daughter there? I go, no, she's working. Oh, okay, I'll call back later. I go, no, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> uh, doctor, uh, I'm lucid enough to know something's not right. She goes, yeah, I don't know what's going on. Um, we didn't expect that none of your blood work showed anything, and, but you're at 31%. You're out of remission. You can't leave Houston. And I'm sending you to another doctor tomorrow. So I go in to see the other doctor, and he goes, okay, so you have about these – this is what happened to you, yada, yada, yada. And he goes, well, they're going to start these treatments. on, give you some uh, these little pills, and then that take a month, and that should uh, take care of everything. So you get, And so I take these pills for a month, go back in. Everything should be great. Once again, we have a car packed up. We're leaving. As soon as I see this doctor, well, 
He goes, oh, you're at 94%. Um, you can't leave. And he goes, I got worse. <laughs> wow. And I said, well, how that happen? I feel good. He goes, well, you aren't. So I'm going to have to put you back in the hospital for some more high-dose chemo. I said, what, like next week? He goes, no, like today, as soon as I can find you a room. And I'm like, once again, back in the hospital again, and then come back out. And then I get pneumonia for the third time. So back in the hospital again. Wow. And it was after that bout of pneumonia that um, I told my wife, I said, I need to go home for the weekend. And she goes, you're not supposed to leave Houston. I go, yes, I know, but I'm going to ask for, I'd rather ask for forgiveness than permission. I just needed to clear my head. Right. And so I go home and I'm standing around the pool by myself in our backyard. And, and I'm just kind of thinking negative thoughts, you know, like, uh, I don't know. I'm kind of talking to God and said, you know, God, I'm not sure why you're putting me through this and my family. I'm not getting any better. Um, maybe I should just chuck it all in. I'm not scared of dying, you know? And, um, I don't know, something started talking to me in my ear and it was more like, wait a minute, Satan, that's you talking to me. You want me to quit, don't you? And I said, God, send the Holy Spirit to me and get him away from me. And, uh, as I'm sitting here telling you right now, it, I, I had this slow drifting feeling coming from my head all the way down to my toes. I mean, it's kind of hard to explain. Sure. But it's like something was washing me. And and then my attitude just changed. I go, well, I'm ready to go. I told my wife, I'm ready to go back to Houston and see what they have to tell me. You know, so I go back in and the doctor says, now we know why we could never zero you out. He said, we're just now finding out that Hispanics tend to have the uh, Philadelphia chromosome marker on on the dna and that's what you have you have the philadelphia chromosome marker you don't have the chromosome itself and the philadelphia chromosome basically fights against the chemo and keeps telling the cancer cells to keep reproducing so um he said i'm going to introduce uh, this brand new treatment he said six months ago i couldn't have even offered it to you it's uh car t-cell therapies coming out of england he goes and then i'm going to uh, custom designed some chemo to go after different sites on the leukemia cells and and that should take care of it and my wife coined the term little ninja cells the car t cells and uh they were going to fight everything off well he said you have to go back in the hospital again for another month and let me tell you david it's been going on a year and a half you know it's kind of like yeah. you know, whoopie doo uh, i just can't wait to go back in again for another <laughs> month and uh you know and uh so but that's what cured me you know and um it, it, it was just a blessing, you know. So it was, that, so it was a year and a half close, of treatment. That close yeah. to quitting. Yeah. Well, and, know, and I, I think that the, the real message that I want the audience to get is like Satan was in your head telling you to give up, you know, and, and you recognized it. And that's what most of us don't realize is that there is evil in this world and he works against us. And, you know, we don't know how to fight that. Until we call on the Holy Spirit, and then you felt that peace. And that's really the, the the big takeaway that I want for our listeners. And that's why, you know, the title of this show is called A Healing Story. But, you know, you just have to reach kind of the end of yourself as a self-reliant person. You had to send up that SOS, save my soul, you know, save our soul, mm-hmm. made a signal to and, and, and seek that help. And then suddenly, you know, these pieces all fit together with this Philadelphia marker. And then now there's some new chemo that hadn't even been available or existing before. And, you know, so God still had a plan very much specifically for Austin Ruiz. And I think that's that's what's so amazing about it. So then, you know, once you got that proper treatment, you know, how long did it, you know, you how long were you in before they said, hey, you know, you know, all your numbers are down, your markers, your your uh, 
technically in remission. Yeah, and that's uh, and that's another story in itself. But uh, I want to say something, David. That you know, if you believe in God, you have to believe that Satan is out there too. You can't just believe in one and the other. Um, Satan is the great deceiver, you know. And mm-hmm. like I saw, you know, the basically the greatest trick he ever pulled is convincing people he doesn't exist, you know. But uh, uh, your question to answer your question. So what was that again? I'm sorry. Well, so so how long was it after you got that treatment where you were? In remission, and then, and, and I guess, okay. do you consider yourself cured now, or is it remission? Well, or? I don't know if, I, if you're ever really cured, but I'm in remission anyway, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but... For how long? Uh, That's been so since after I came out of the, the, the hospital for the CAR T-cell therapy for the month, um, the doctor goes, you're the chemo king. And I go, why am I the chemo king? He goes, man, we hit you with hard stuff. And he hardly even phases you. And I go, yeah, that's kind of true. I mean, about a day, day and a half, and that's about it. But it's not me. That's, that's you know, God sending the Holy Spirit to take it away from me. And that's what I believe, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but so he said, but you're an anomaly. And so I'm sure I'm in some medical paper somewhere. <laughs> and so why am I an anomaly? He said, well, the CAR T cells are supposed to be gone completely by day 21. And he goes, and it, at a month out, you're 94 um, percent. We don't know what to do with you. You know, and he said, so we called over to England to find out what's going on with this guy. And they go, we don't know. We've never had anybody go past day 21. So my CAR T cells and they wanted to do another bone marrow transplant right away. OK, because they said we didn't get all the cells the first time. We're going to wipe the slate clean, start all over again. Well, the CAR T cells didn't go away from basically, uh, what, February, March till August. And that in itself was a blessing because my father had had cancer and, and he had, uh, and he wasn't doing very well. And I told my doctor, I said, look, I'm concerned because you want to put me in the hospital. And I know that once I go in, I can't leave. And my father's not doing very well. She goes, that's right. And once you enter the hospital, that's it. You can't leave. And well, my father passed away in August, and uh, then that was when my CAR T cells finally went away. So uh, they put me back in the hospital uh, into September, and they had my second bone marrow transplant. And uh, the second bone marrow transplant was really, uh, I, I, I tell people, I said it was kind of uh, a non issue. It was like I never really got sick. Uh, the doctors even came in, and he goes, man, I've never seen this before, because they, they told me I was going to be in there for another month. So, he, like I said, you have to psych yourself up for it. Yeah. And well, about two and a half weeks, he walked in on a Saturday. His name was Dr. Popot. And Dr. Popot said, man, I've never seen this before. He said, your uh, your blood girl just took off, you know. And, and he goes, you want to get out of here today? And I go, set me free. All right. Well, look, that's about, you know, we're, we're getting short on time here, but uh, it's, a, it's an incredible story. And I know that your, your, your grandchild, you know, was diagnosed and is going through it, but you're, you're helping him walk through it. And, you know, your family uh, knows that it can be defeated. And we just want to thank God for the blessing, you know. And I always also want to uh, encourage people who are experiencing loss, you know, whether it's through floods or you know, lightning strikes. Prism Specialties is our show's sponsor, and they can help restore your electronics, textiles, and artwork after misfortune visits your home and belongings, just like this car T-cells was doing for Austin's uh, body. And we just uh, 
are so pleased, you know, that you were able to come on and share this story of healing with us, Austin. And uh, if anybody's got any other questions or suggestions about what we want to put on the show, write me an email at wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com to offer input, suggestions, or feedback. And let me just close with a quick prayer for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the blessing that you gave to Austin Ruiz and his healing and that it, it appears to be uh, in remission still. And, you know, I would even like to use the word cured because when your hand's involved, it's it's for good. And uh, we just thank you for his testimony and for sharing it and that it might help anyone out there suffering. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. AM 1070, The Answer, Wrestling with the Inner Man. Thanks for listening to Wrestling with the Inner Man with David Savage. For more information, reach out to David at WrestlingWithTheInnerMan at gmail.com. That's WrestlingWithTheInnerMan at gmail.com. Tune in next time as Wrestling with the Inner Man tackles more tough topics to train up a generation of better men.